Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Chemovic, CTO and co-founder of Frugal. Today, we're going to be discussing running Java and PHP side-by-side in modern cloud environments. With us is Herb Ritter, Senior Director of Technology at NetSertive. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Herb, what can you tell us about yourself? I am Senior Director of Technology at NetSertive. I lead all software development, product, and IT teams. I have a background as a software engineer, and I am very passionate about solving problems for customers. So speaking of solving problems for customers, what kind of problems does NetSertive solve for its customers? NetSertive is the digital marketing solution trusted by multi-location businesses across the country. We were founded in 2009 and have over 1,500 retailers, franchises, and auto dealers, and media companies that use our award-winning technology and team to run localized digital advertising, search engine optimization, and web solutions at scale. So... What kind of challenges do multi-location businesses face when it comes to digital advertising? There's actually a lot. They face consistency. They face budgeting problems. They want to make sure that everybody has the same message across the network. And then when you're creating the campaign, you want to be able to put your budget in certain places. Some markets require more than others. And then at the end of the campaign, you want to be able to compare them. How did everybody do? Who are my high performers, my low performers? What can I do to help get everybody on the same path? So in a way, you're kind of trying to run lots of mini campaigns that has some things is in common, but some things are differentiated between locations. Yeah, so the biggest challenge we have is bringing all that together and keeping the localized feel and making sure everything's not cookie cutter along the way. And how long has NetSeltive been around? We started in 2009. I actually joined as a software engineer in 2012, so not quite the beginning, but I'm going on 10 years uh, in October. Cool. So the company's been around for a while, and I'm sure you have many generations of technology, many pieces of code written over the years. Kind of, What does the service look like on the inside? Yeah, we are using a combination of mostly Java and PHP applications. Our newer websites are written in React. Everything's running in Kubernetes in the cloud. We have a lot of database optimizations and database ETLs as well that run every day. We pull a lot of data into our data warehouse for reporting and analysis on a daily basis. So there's a lot of different stuff in there from MySQL to Postgres and uh, some Snowflake as well. So what kind of data are you pulling into those databases and where is the data coming from? There's kind of two sides to the data in our databases. The first would be the configuration side. So setting up all the campaigns, all the ad groups, and all the ads and and keywords that go along with them. On the other side, there's the performance data. So that's the reporting we get from people like Google and Microsoft and Facebook and the Trade Desk. Um, We pull that all together so that we can report on everything at different granularities to our customers. And then when you're pulling all this data and you're customizing all of those reports, how much of the operation of the services, of the customizations of the ads is done by NetSertive employees versus how much of it is being done by the end customers themselves? 
We have some of both. We have some self-serve customers in certain areas that can log in and make some changes to their campaigns themselves. And probably a majority of our customers are more the white glove where they work with our account managers to determine the media strategies and, and our team will actually use the tool. And how do you differentiate the product offering and the engineering processes between those two kinds of portals? So that kind of goes into a broader, how do you determine what you work on in general? And at the end of the day, you have to align your product roadmap with your company's goals. And those goals can change year to year, quarter to quarter, maybe. So just keeping a pulse on what's important to you and planning accordingly. Speaking of which, what's important to you, over the past few years, you've migrated most of your infrastructure into Kubernetes. In fact, you're running quite a lot of PHP servers on Kubernetes, and that's fairly unique in the industry. I suppose it is. PHP is what we started using back in the day. It was PHP for websites and APIs and Java for automation applications that go around it. As we've grown, we've started moving more of those APIs into Java, different frameworks in Java, like Spring Boot. We still have some of the PHP APIs around. We aren't really writing any new applications in PHP, but until we get all of them migrated, we'll have them around. And if there's small changes we need to make here and there, we'll do that. Over the past few years, what kind of changes, what kind of efforts have you made to make your PHP servers easier to maintain? I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. Uh, we use Docker and Kubernetes to spin up and down test environments, deploy different version of containers and applications and APIs, essentially using the microservice framework. Everything's kind of separated into their different duties. So when you're talking HTTP, API, CRUD operations, it doesn't really make much difference if you're using PHP or Java from the API layer. So that's definitely helped us out. And then deploying to production is the same. It's just deploying that container to the production cluster. Yeah, containers are great to kind of isolate away how the application is being built and packaged and what technologies are being used. At the end of the day, you just have a, an image that runs an HTTP server and it's fairly opaque what's happening on the inside. Yeah, and that's a great way for things to kind of work as they work. You know, we don't have to upgrade everything in one fell swoop, we can do things as we get the capacity to do them and plan accordingly. It also lets developers kind of have a way to learn new things, try new technologies and try new patterns over time as well. And as long as the contract doesn't change, yeah, it's pretty opaque. It doesn't make much difference. Have you faced any unique challenges trying to modernize those PHP environments? I mean, most Kubernetes users are using Java or Golang or Node or Rust, and all of a sudden you're running PHP. Are there any you know, sharp ends to that approach? It's been a little while since we actually did that work, but we invested in that with our DevOps team to streamline as much as possible around containerizing everything and getting things into Kubernetes. Uh, it was, it's been a few years, and there were definitely some road bumps along the way and different things that you run into with PHP specifically. But once you get them all figured out and automated, today it's not even a question. Nobody, nobody asks that. It's, it just works. And yet you've kind of ended up saying, we're going to move as much as possible to Java. Uh, so kind of, why not stick with PHP? 
it's actually a trend I've seen with developers in general is it's hard to find anyone that wants to work with PHP these days. <laughs> Those people exist, obviously, but more people want to do things like React and Node and Java. So I think people are just getting more vocal about their preferences and the market is in such a place where they can find whatever they want to work on in whatever language they want to work it in. So trying to just keep modernizing our stack is a good way for us to stay competitive in the market. That's a refreshingly honest answer. Yeah. Not saying that PHP is superior in any way technologically, not that it is or isn't, but sometimes different factors come into the decision saying that my employees are happier working for Java and my candidates are easier to hire. It's a very honest answer. It's refreshing. I guess to a certain degree, it's also interesting because it's not necessarily because it's really funner to, you know, develop in PHP or Java, but people perceive it as more modern, more fun, more interesting, and the truth doesn't matter that much. Right. I mean, there are a few things, like PHP has its quirks. Every language has its quirks. And, you know, you learn them and you get through it, and then you know what you need to do going forward. But yeah, there's definitely enhancements coming to PHP, but it doesn't seem as quick to evolve as other languages. And when people learn languages, they generally start with a, a Java or a, a C-sharp, maybe. So why not go with C-sharp or Node? Why did you decide to go with Java and Spring for your new web APIs? We started with Java because we already did Java. And there is a lot of familiarity with Java and object-oriented programming and the libraries that Spring Boot specifically, it simplifies and you can kind of create a template of a, an API right off the bat. I mean, when you're creating a CRUD API, it's pretty standard. You're going to have your creates, you're going to have your updates, you're going to have your reads. And it kind of gives you that out of the box. You just have to fill in the unique parts of what that API needs to handle and not worry about the, the boilerplate. Yeah, faster development and, and happier developers because they don't have to focus on the mundane stuff. They're focused on the business logic and the uniqueness of what they're building. What kind of challenges did you find around spinning up those Java servers, running them in Kubernetes, running them in production? It was a lot of work just ahead of time to get things to a point where they could run successfully in Kubernetes. And when, you know, historically you have things on the cron and certain apps run at different times, you, you try to think of different ways to do that. Kubernetes has its own cron built in. There's also other tools we use like Argo for workflow management. So we can say, we're going to run this application to pull data. And then there's different stages that happen in the workflow after that. So figuring out all of those things and how to modernize things is the most you know time-consuming part of that. I have to admit, I had some bad experiences with the Kubernetes cron APIs. They're fairly cumbersome, and we found that we didn't have much observability into what was going on in there. Kind of, How did you fare with the cron API? Exactly. And that's why we moved to that, that Argo workflow manager instead of the Kubernetes crons, because like time zones actually were a problem. Whenever the time zone shifted and daylight savings took effect, now everything's an hour off, unless we updated all of the different Helm charts to fix that. So you come up with your solution to fix it right away, and then you build a longer-term solution that hopefully you resolve some of those problems. So how are you using Argo for workflow management, for ETL, for crons? What's your experience around that? 
it's actually really positive. I really like that tool specifically because it gives you the like the tree view. So you can see the the red or green status. You can see what stage of the workflow it's on. It's really similar to Airflow. I know that's another common one that we um, investigated when we made that decision. And we went with Argo at the end of the day because it was Kubernetes native. So it'll spin up and down containers and jobs and, and everything as it goes. And all of the observability was there. You could also see the logs and you can see all the different runs that happened today, scheduling things for you know every day, every hour, every five minutes if you wanted to. Like, it's very flexible. And what is it like troubleshooting? I mean, you're running all those ETL jobs, you're ingesting tons of data, you're, I guess you're doing various aggregations and fancy calculations around the data. So how do you monitor the data flows? How do you troubleshoot when things go wrong? So Argo is actually really helpful with that because if something fails, it'll be read and it puts some messages into our team chat. So we'll know immediately if something happened and then we can dig into the logs after that to help resolve it. But I mean, knock on wood, because the Argo is handling the workflow and it has different stages of, I can go to the next step only if this succeeds or if this fails, I can stop. It actually makes things pretty easy and it's very reliable in my opinion so far. That's great to hear. Now I'm wondering, you're running all these fancy new Java technologies, you're using Kubernetes, you're using Argo, you have Java Spring Boot APIs, you have Java ETL jobs, and then you have those PHP servers side by side, the old stuff nobody wants to work on, legacy technology, what are the challenges? What are the unique elements of operating both of those generations side by side? I think day to day, there are actually very few challenges because all of these technologies built around them make it more seamless. So we're not necessarily handling the PHP servers ourselves day to day. They spin up and down as needed. They're all load balanced in Kubernetes automatically. And if we don't need to make any changes to them, they just keep doing what they're doing. So it's actually pretty minimal. It's nice that the technology these days allows you to do that without as much overhead as you would have had in the past. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting the concept of pets versus cattle, right? As long as you have your servers are cattle, as long as they can be managed as a group, you can relegate most of that day-to-day to machines, to the, you know, the shepherding and the day-to-day heavy lifting and just kind of sail on, focus on the business logic, on the value, on the future of the business. Exactly. And that's the part that's exciting, right? Like I mentioned earlier, I'm really passionate about solving problems for customers. I'm not really passionate about troubleshooting why a PHP server doesn't want to turn on, right? Or it doesn't want to work correctly. I mean, there are people that want to focus on that, but you know, in the business framework, it just needs to work. And we need to be focusing on solving those problems the right problems. We're definitely seeing that the rise of platform as a service, the rise of Kubernetes, of managed databases, are taking away much of the grind of day-to-day operations, of setting the IT infrastructure. So you can get containers as a service, you can get databases as a service, you can get all the building blocks for application, so you can just focus on the code itself and what it's going to do. Yeah, I think that's the biggest improvement we've made even in the last couple of years, right? You don't have to worry about how to get everything set up and running locally anymore. There's basically services to do almost everything. So 
there's a learning curve that you have to get over to figure out how to do that, how to troubleshoot things, but it's definitely nicer and at least a faster development at the end of the day. Yeah. Now you've been at NetSerty for a decade now, or you're going to be at the end of the year. So I have to ask, what's the most memorable bug from your time at NetSerty? My most memorable bug probably luckily didn't make it to production. But when I first joined the team, right? That's not fun. <laughs> well, you know, try not to have any super memorable production bugs. But, you know, things get wrong and, and you have to fix them. But the one I remember most actually didn't make it to production. But it was a good learning experience for me. And it's something that I kind of you know, kept with me forever. It's working with databases and creating queries. You can really get into the mindset that, oh, it's just, it's easy. You're just selecting star from a table, right? And then you get the more complex joins and you get to more filtering and all of those things. And you end up with a result set that's got this Cartesian product in there where everything's multiplied by however many joins you pulled in and all the numbers are wrong. And sometimes it can be hard to spot because some things look correct, but for maybe for this customer, they had a couple different records that ended up compiling on top of each other. So again, luckily that wasn't one that made it into a production environment, but uh, it was a good learning for me early on in my career. So always very careful writing queries after that, because even the simple queries can be you know, deceivingly complex. Yeah, queries are code. You can get them wrong, especially if you don't know what data it's going to be run against, especially if it's hard to predict the data that's going to end up in production that you're going to be running the queries against. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. And then of course, you know, memorable bugs, maybe things that we weren't in control of are things when your cloud provider has an outage. What do you do? How can you debug? How can you get back up and running as fast as you can? Or in some cases, maybe data from Google is delayed and they have a bug where they can't send reports out. Now we have to figure out how to backfill things whenever they do get things back up and running. How do we notify all our customers that there's a, a delay there? And then even all of our automation after that, right? We'll automate all of our bidding and budgeting based on that reporting. And if it doesn't exist, we've got to wait. Yeah, exactly. Herb, any last word for our audience? I think the important thing about your technology stack is that you're solving the right problem. So the technology you use doesn't necessarily matter as much as the outcomes. And if you're using a, a legacy technology and you wanna modernize it, you've gotta come up with a plan and a migration strategy to get there and ideally get there without trying to do everything at once. So trying to do things in stages is incredibly important. It'll help you succeed and it'll put a lot less stress on your team. Makes perfect sense. So it was great having you on the show. Thanks everyone for listening in. And if you're looking to get some uh, PHP time in or Java time, you probably want to check out NetSertive. Heck yeah. Happy to have you. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Production First Mindset. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. Thanks again for joining us.